Our culture is in a crisis, and the solution to that crisis is the gospel message. St. John's Seminary, the seminary of the Archdiocese of Los Angeles, offers an online MA in pastoral ministry degree for anyone interested in receiving formation for ministry. This program helps students improve their knowledge of the Catholic intellectual tradition and develop practical skills for ministry. A studio with professional video, audio, and lighting equipment allows our students to have an enjoyable technological experience, a necessity for any online learning environment. Anyone who is working in and around the Roman Catholic Church in North America needs an education like this. There's no way you could get this kind of education anywhere than at a seminary. Our online Master of Arts in Pastoral Ministry offers you the chance to continue your education in ministry and designed to provide you with the knowledge, spiritual formation, and practical skills that you need to serve the family of God in our parishes, schools, and other ministries. By grounding yourself in the intellectual tradition of the Catholic Church, you will be able to go out into this culture and leaven it with the good news. Welcome to the podcast. My guest today is Rich Pentang, who is the host of the Catholic Dadcast podcast. Uh, he has been married for 23 years, has two kids, uh, one daughter who's 18 and one son who is 13. His podcast uh, is about to launch in next month. It's uh, season three lineup, and he's got a lot of great conversations. And obviously, uh, by the, the name of the the podcast, the Catholic Dadcast, he explores in his podcast a variety of questions dealing with masculinity, marriage, and fatherhood. First of all, Rich, thank you so much for joining me today. I'm looking forward to this conversation. Thank you once again for having me, Stu, and and uh, I, I take great honor in being able to have these these type of conversations and see what kind of hearts we can touch. So I, I wanted to have a conversation um, about the sort of center of what you're interested in on your podcast, those questions of masculinity, marriage, and fatherhood. So why don't we, I, I, all three of those I think are interrelated, but why don't we do the best we can to sort of uh, talk about them in a systematic way? We'll start with masculinity. So, um, you know, certainly a lot of Catholics and even non-Catholics talk about a sort of crisis of masculinity today. Uh, one way that the secular world describes it as a sort of toxic masculinity. How would you say how Catholics should be thinking about this crisis? Should we sort of adopt that line of toxic masculinity or should we approach it from a different perspective? Well, so great, great question to start off with. I, the first thing I could, I think of Stu is that, you know, when it comes to masculinity, masculinity used to be very much categorized as heroism and uh, I, I want to say that that's been stolen and, and, and taken away. And probably in most cases, because there have been such poor examples of what masculinity is. And uh, what, when I look at when I look at the term masculinity, I look at the fact that, you know, there's the chivalry, there's there's a, a sense of us that want to engage in battle, you know, especially for myself, let's say, just being very vigilant about how I lead my family. What what are the things that not, not that I necessarily tell them, but what do they see? You know, for my daughter, you know, being at the age of eighteen, she's going to look at the um, you know a, a life partner at some point as she goes through life. You know, um, you know, she's going to eventually say, you know, um, is this uh, the type of relationship I want to be in long term? But I look at the fact that um, 
you know, what I want her to remember about me as a father is, is a, a man of virtue, you know, someone that's lives righteously, you know, uh, exemplifies prudence. I mean, for the most part, everything that we, we see in, in St. Joseph, what greater model than St. Joseph to know the kind of mission he had was to protect our savior and to, uh, and, and to, you know, be there for mother Mary. I mean, how much more of a mission could you be on to, to be uh, tasked with that? So when it comes to masculinity, you know, again, I, I look at uh, the virtue that comes from prayer life, comes from holiness, and it's, it's again, more, more action than, than it is just dad spitting out words to the kids. And myself in, in, the, in the marriage is allowing them to see that that's what we see as a healthy marriage, healthy communication, connection, and um, and understanding that we sh- we share responsibilities in that relationship. So my my take is always that I will take control of the things I can control. Let God do all the heavy lifting, and then allow the the fruits of that to to be uh, shared with those around me that I that I influence. There are a variety of different Catholic ways of responding to this crisis that we've been talking about. One way uh, seems to be, uh, you know, sort of drink bourbon, grow a beard, and and smoke cigars. Um, and it seems to me that those suggestions, in my opinion, miss the point uh, just as much as the secular claim of toxic masculinity. Uh, I like bourbon. I actually lived in Kentucky for six years, so I, I really mm-hmm. got into bourbon. But, you know, I also like wine and beer, and, and I don't think those – you know, any of those drinks are tied to who I am as a man. So how do you assess some of these other Catholic critiques of masculinity? Where where do they get it right? Where uh, And where do they get it wrong? And how should we be thinking about uh, shifting our understanding of masculinity and helping that next generation of, of boys become men? Sure. Yeah. And that's, those are, and you make a great point, you know, it, it really depends on the, you know, where you're, where you're seeing what, what you feel that masculinity is. I mean, uh, a lot of the times that's, that's generational. And when I saw, you know, you know, coming from a, an immigrant family, Stu, like, let's put it this way. When you have um, a lot of the culture and traditions of a Filipino household um, migrating to the United States, what I saw was uh, a work ethic that was bar none uh, when it came to sacrifice and discipline um, to, for the most part, to keep to keep the lights on the t- uh, the lights on and food on the table, so not understanding that being you know born and raised in Chicago, I just always looked at it as um, I felt like uh, there, I had to earn I had to earn um, my own and and help in that sense, but I would say that you know a lot of it comes to the the model that you see. Um, part of me what does not want to be remembered as. Uh, you know, I guess the question becomes, how do I want to be remembered? You know, what is my legacy going to look like when, when I'm called to be with the Lord, my body of work is, is really more of the ministry and, and how I, how people see Christ in me. And that doesn't mean that we, we can't have, um, enjoy, uh, bourbon. That doesn't mean that we, we can't, uh, you know, say go out hunting. Um, and there's just different ways for that mm-hmm. for myself. Um, I've always tried to incorporate a lifestyle that would allow me to exemplify a healthy, active lifestyle uh, so that it, you know, I, I suppose because I come from a, a background where there's quite a bit of uh, health, um, health concerns, you know, between 
high blood pressure, diabetes and such, I choose to kind of kill two birds with one stone so that the kids understand, live a, ha- you know, live a healthy lifestyle, be active, you know, um, be the temple for the Holy Spirit, like we say. But I would say that um, it's really in the, the eye of the beholder and then uh, understanding what God's will for you is here on earth. So you talk about um, modeling as a primary way of of forming young men uh, in masculinity. There are other ways that I don't think would be helpful. Like, I mean, you can give somebody a textbook and teach them math, but I'm not sure giving them a textbook and and having uh, young boys read uh, the book. Uh, not that that's not necessarily a bad thing, but I'm not sure that's the most fruitful way. So when you think about uh, uh, modeling, uh, what are some of the other ways that you think uh, sort of realistic or concrete solutions to how we can help uh, boys uh, uh, come to a, a mature understanding of masculinity? Sure. Well, one one thing that comes to mind here, uh, Stu, is, uh, you know, this past year, you know, at the end of the year, I always go through a, a reflection process of, you know, things that were meaningful and things I accomplished in the past year so that I can, you know, do a good share of, uh, you know, goal setting and such. And one of the things I did for my 12 year old turning 13 was I did a rite of passage. And there's a, there's a great book that's written by um, uh, Stephen Arms called Milestone to Manhood. And basically it's a Catholic uh, rite, um, rite of passage where this completely concretely, he, my son remembers when he became a man. And the reason he knows that is his father told him that. And uh, it, it's, it was a, a day of just um, going out to the wilderness here in the California mountains area. It, it was, there was a surprise element, you know, without really spoiling it. There, there were very specific things that allowed us to see scripturally based what that means um, whether or not your body feels a certain way. Um, number two, what, what God's will for you is, and then drawing off the experiences of his uncles um, and relatives that were there to support that the other men that were there on the retreat. And I'll, I'll never forget coming home, getting off the freeways too. It was, it was one of the, those places where I was really looking at how stressful it was to try to organize it and whether or not, a, you know, a 13 year old is even going to value that. And as we got off the freeway, I kind of woke him up and I said, Hey, uh, we're almost home. And he kind of paused in the front seat, you know, half awake and out of his mouth, he says, I'm a man. <laughs> and I thought, and I, I looked at him and I said, yeah, you are a man. And, you know, I mm-hmm. gave him some knuckles and I, to me, no matter what happens after that, that was a moment that I, I'll cherish. Mm-hmm. And, and it really, it really um, allowed me to understand that like um, these are some of the things that I, choose to do with a lot of intention and purpose on top of like a, the ministry work and, you know, growing them growing up here in Orange counties too. It's, you know, I, I don't want them to grow up in a bubble, but I also want them to understand that, you know, the corporal works of mercy means to serve others. Mm-hmm. And I don't necessarily want to just tell them to go do it to get their community service hours. I want them to see that in how we live our lives, how we serve other people in a, in a world where, you know, it's, it's very much easy to get caught up in what's good for me and, and how do I one up the next person? Hopefully that kind of gives you an idea of how, how I try to uh, yeah. live out that life. 
You'd mentioned earlier uh, St. Joseph as a model, certainly for masculinity, fatherhood, you know, uh, uh, being a husband. And I, and I certainly agree with that. One of the things that always captures my um, mind when I think about St. Joseph as a model is he's not a man known for words, right? Um, what do you think we can learn from St. Joseph in terms of, uh, you know, I mean, if you think about Jesus in the Gospel of John, I mean, um, you know, he talks and talks and talks. He goes on these very long monologues. Uh, but St. Joseph didn't, right? He's not known for being a man who talks. So what do you think that might teach us or tell us about what does it mean to be a father? What does it mean to be a man? What does it mean to be a husband? Sure, sure. Yeah. When, when I, you know, I went through a, one, one of my big, uh, I want to say my own epiphany was, especially for this podcast, was the the kind of angst, um, I want to say that we, that I had been having, you know, because of um, COVID and and uh, just the the predicament that it put my my household in, and I knew I wasn't serving, I wasn't going to be able to serve my family the way I should or lead my family in the state I was in, and I want to say Father Callaway's, um, you know, consecration to Saint Joseph was a huge catalyst, and and it had been introduced to me from a dear brother of mine, Brother Gilbert, um, who I I owe a great deal of my faith formation to. We we went through the consecration of Saint Joseph, and I just fell in love with my my role as a husband and father of my household. And one of the things that touched my heart the most was really just um, looking at the litany of Saint Joseph and understanding what this man stood for. Not not necessarily looking for the accolades, but understanding that that uh, that was God's will for him in in his life. Not not a, a again a man of a lot of words but of action. And when you look at the the litany, you look at, he, you know, he's the light of patriarchs, right? And in a dark world, that's, that's how people need to see us as men, not, not what you see on TV of someone on the uh, couch, you know, drinking a six pack and with a remote control while everyone else does the chore work. And that to me is, you know, being the light and empowering people and not putting people down as the the light of patriarchs that's what you know saint joseph stood for but uh one of the other one of the other titles that saint joseph has is the uh, glory of domestic life i want to say that you know during that time of covid you know at that point Stuart, i was in in a place where i lost a joy i really lost the joy of marriage and um and fatherhood and i want to say that a lot of men uh probably go through that whether they want to admit it or not i just really put on uh, put my pride down. And I really said, you know, how am I going to look back at, at this time in COVID and see where God was working in my life? And part of that was to, to be the glory uh, of, of the domestic life and to, to assume the head of my, uh, of the household. And that's the same as, as what St. Joseph is, was he was the head of the Holy family. I mean, and, and that, that's the way I want, I want my, my kids to at some point in their adult life, when they build their own family, they have a model. They lived, th- hopefully, lived through it through myself and my beautiful wife. But they o- can also always look at the the model of the the holy family, because that in itself, you know, c- can really allow m- men specifically to not divert into things that they feel are going to make them happy. That's that's why the devil attacks the men. Uh, through through so many different avenues. Hopefully that gives you a good idea there, Stuart. 
what role would you say that the church has to play in in the solution of of this problem? Uh, Pope Francis recently claimed uh, that we need to, and this is his language, <clears throat> demasculinize the church. He says that the church is woman, <clears throat> and that sh- and that masculinizing the church has been a he calls it a great sin. Uh, what are your thoughts on that, and how how should we think maybe in the parish life or the Catholic school system? Think about what what is the role of the church in in forming boys into men. Sure, yeah. In here, I you know we 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 must we must pray for the Holy Father. I mean, with with so much responsibility, you know, we we really have to make sure that we're always keeping the Holy Father in our prayers, and 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 even if you know, when you look at it, you, you always look at the fact that, you know, the, the clergy as, as the shepherds of the, of the church and we, as the body of Christ, you know, we have to be led. I mean, that's, that's really what we, we, we find in the head of the household. When you, you look in, um, you know, I I believe it's in Ephesians when you say that, you know, um, you, you look at leadership in the household and the aspects of that, but but the i mean even the school system uh, you know that in itself can be a, you know a, another conversation but it really comes down to being able to stand for what's right in a loving way in a merciful way and a lot of that confusion that we're seeing uh, within society is no one being being willing to stand up to you know uh like for example what we see in genesis that you know um being formed in in the womb and and uh being a, a man and a woman it just seems that uh whatever seems right it seems something else is right in someone else's eyes and trying to approach that with with some kind of mercy and and here i feel like the the church because there is so much uh confusion you almost know that the tax will always be on the church because what we're doing is trying to spread the gospel glorify god and build his kingdom so overall, we, we know that we have to hold back, hold, go back to, you know, the catechism and, um, and re-catechize those, especially those that are, are fighting against what we do in the church. Bringing this question of masculinity to the, another topic, the, the topic of marriage, um, how do you think that this crisis of masculinity plays into the fact that uh, today in America, fewer couples are getting married and, and that we live in a society that has over 50% divorce rate, um, which which is shocking. And yet it seems to be so um, unremarkable today that, you know, we don't, we don't seem to have a public discourse about it. So what's the relationship between the sort of crisis of masculinity and the crisis of marriage? Yeah, Stuart, I mean, I, I want to say that uh, in when I look at uh, marriage as a whole, I mean, a lot of a lot of these folks, at least in the in the dad space that I work with, they are products of co-parenting and and uh, separation and divorced homes. So they've seen it as acceptable. Where where I want to say that um, you know, being able to be fruitful in a loving covenant is is a commitment, and it's very easy to to be a couple, but but can you be disciplined? and and have some sort of self mastery to wait and tie the knot in front of the church in a way in which is um allowing god to bless that union and to allow the 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 disciplines of the catholic church to dictate where it is and how you live your life in according to his will i, I want to say that there's there's just no um 
no one is, has been willing to step in and really understand how to make sure that we're prepared for that because it is a promise. It is a commitment. And when you have a lack of commitment, it's very easy to, to pull, pull out and just follow the model of someone else. When in reality, you have to be able to work through conflict and it's too easy to run when in reality, I would say that conflict management is, is part of what we signed up for. And, and that's, that's also what I see when there's a lot of struggle with men that have a hard time fitting in with where they sit in as a parent, uh, especially when it's very chaotic, but I can see the other end of it, Stuart, because I work in a, uh, I do a lot of work, volunteer work for a, a, a dad's mastermind. And it's called the Dad Edge Alliance. And these are men that have gone through that in, in their childhood, and they want to prevent the, their families from going down that, that route. Those that are under separation, under divorce, it's a different ballgame. It's, mm. it's pretty heavy to try to do that on your own. When in, when you, if you think about it, if you allow yourself to find better ways to communicate, to connect, um, to drop our pride, build some trust in, in psychological safety, that by far, when you can get through that adversity, should bring you closer instead of separate. So we talked earlier about sort of the, I guess we could say the ideal um, understanding of manhood, right? Masculinity, what is what is a healthy masculinity? Related to that, then how, uh, how would you sort of paint the picture of what an ideal husband looks like in the 21st century? Well, America, I mean, obviously what it is in the U.S., there's there going to be cultural realities to it. But, um, you know, when we look on television or the movies, I don't think we get um, uh, really good pictures of what an ideal husband. Obviously, St. Joseph uh, would come back again in our conversation. But what what is the sort of ideal that we should be striving for? Well, I, you know, I go back to I go to, you know, virtue and righteousness and integrity. And th- those to me are are some of the what I call the non-negotiables and uh and and obviously we're we're broken people, right? And that's that's one of the beauties of of our mastermind is that we get together, understanding that we're broken. Um, but you know, as we always say, that you know, every saint has a past and every sinner has a future. And I say that um, you know, being able to be humble enough to to um, understand how to allow our relationship with the Lord to heal us and to empower us and to get us through some of those dark times will ultimately be the light for those around us when, when, and if they face that adversity in life, I, I you know, um, I want to say that that's a lot of how the devil works, Stuart is they do, you know, we always have that self doubt and that imposter syndrome per se. And I want to say that that's, that's exactly how the, the devil likes to work is to poke at your doubt, especially if, if what you're doing or what you're engaged in will glorify the Lord that, that you'll find that that's probably when the attacks, the spiritual attacks come. Um, and it, it seems to be the case for me, but uh, that I would say that that's why um, having a group of men around you with like-minded values, um, people that are going to quite frankly, carry the cross for you when it's too heavy, that, you know, at some point there are going to be men around us that are our Simon of Cyrene. And, uh, in a lot of cases, uh, some of us as men were just not willing to say, "Hey, I need some help," and um, and that's that would be a disservice to uh, our, our family and the people that we love. Echoing my earlier question, uh, what role do you think that the church has in in ameliorating this problem of of marriage? I mean, one thing that comes to my mind when I think about 
uh, sort of concrete steps that the church takes is obviously pre-Cana, which I have a lot of criticisms of the way that's done. And one of them is right off the bat, my thought is, well, what about post-Cana, right? I mean, the 99.9% of the relationship is after the wedding, uh, but the church, the, the parish life doesn't seem to have any interest in sort of fostering that. So um, what do you think about pre-Cana? What do you think about the role of the church after marriage in terms of how we as a community can support not just new, you know, uh, new couples, but, you know, getting back to what you were saying earlier about your experience during COVID, people have been married for 20, 23 years. Yeah. You know what, what, what comes to mind here, Stuart, is uh, that the fact that, you know, when we, when I went, when we went through the pre-Cana, we were almost, you know, maybe checking a box, I guess you can say. But what's odd is that, you know, in, in the married life, you know, as opposed to, let's say, our cars, you know, we, we get maintenance done, we get oil changes and, and what have you, but we really don't do a lot of maintenance on our own marriage and relationships and family life. And, and that for us as a household, you know, we, we always engage in some sort of marriage type retreats where it's really a chance to not only, you know, focus on us as parents, but as a couple, because that's, that's who we were before we were you know, before we were uh, a father or a mother, we were a couple. And to just allow ourselves to go through a, a marriage retreat, you know, the marriage retreat we went through um, last year was, it was a Friday night, it was a full Saturday, and it was Sunday uh, with family mass. And I would tell you that um, I recommend it for everyone, um, as busy as our lives are, you can't say that we're too busy for our marriage. And, and uh, one time a year, where you can spend the time. I, I kid you not, you know, when, when I reflect back on the different, the testimonies that were shared, there was a lot of humor, sharing meals, meeting new people, and just hearing the, a lot of the struggles of their own marriage and how that relates to us. You know, we look at ourselves and say, you know, I'm, I'm happy that I have my wife, or I'm, I'm happy that I have my, my husband. And one of the, the pivotal moments for us was uh, being able to look at each other in our eyes and, and somewhat renew our vows. In many cases, we we don't even do that. Look at ourselves. Look at our spouse in the eyes, and I could I could tell you without looking around, you can just hear the sniffling, and um, you can sense the contrite hearts we have, knowing that we we did not serve our our spouse the way we we said we would X amount of years ago, and there's such a healing process from that. Where I want to say, if if it's true that you know one third of men um, you know, leave the Catholic church, then it's, it's up to us to, to recognize w- what a gift our faith is. And it, it's up to us to have that desire to want to better our marriage. Um, but the, the church itself and parishes should be able to share resources and, and allow couples to recognize the importance of the better we are, the better our kids are, our family life and the next generation. Because unfortunately, I would say that some of us in our generation are products of um, getting what we could get, you know, from from our own respective parents. Let's bring in that sort of, if you will, third person of this trinity, the uh, fatherhood. Uh, what about fatherhood? How do you sort of view this crisis of fatherhood today, which 
isn't simply just noticed by Catholics. Uh, really recently, Barry Weiss would put out a podcast episode that over, and she said that um, over half of children born today are born out of wedlock. So this issue is even catching the attention of, of secular liberals. So um, how do you think about this crisis of fatherhood? Where does it come from? Um, uh, and um, where do we see that the crisis of fatherhood sort of stemming from the previous issues we've talked about of masculinity and marriage. Yeah. This, the, you know, the, the father fatherless home crisis is and the, the statistics are staggering, right? You know, the, between, you know, X amount of um, the, you know, coming from a, a fatherless home, you're, you know, X amount times more likely to commit a crime, do drugs, um, you know, sexual activity out of wedlock, um, drop out of high school. I mean, you name it. Right. And, and I, I won't say that, uh, the, the type of policies that were enforced, you know, generations ago is, is why we're seeing this, that, that encouraged having, uh, fathers, uh, being okay, that you, you are, um, you know, become, became part of the, the system because that's what I've seen around us. And, uh, and that's unfortunate, which is probably why, again, you, you tend to see people look down upon men because there are men that really just uh, escape their responsibilities. And, um, and uh, you know, it, it's sad to see that. And, and in fact, I, I want to say that that's why I choose to be part of the solution and not the problem is to be very intentional about how I'm remembered as a father and empowering the other men around us. That's why the podcast was formed, because I said, look, if, if I'm feeling the way I'm feeling and I'm feeling the weight on, of the world on my shoulders, Stuart, there's other men there. They just don't want to admit it. So this the, the podcast was an outlet for them to touch on different areas that they might be struggling with somewhat privately, but then understand that at some point, you know, they have to. And, and we as a whole, as men, have to be better leaders by admitting that fellowship and the, and our faith will allow us to to feel confident about who we are as leaders how we're remembered and then allowing that to see to see that in my son or my my future son-in-law for example and, and um you know and understanding what is the model going back to the the holy family and that, that's why for me it's it's always become here's uh here's here's what we stand for our our pintang household and here's what we want to see as you get older and into your own relationships in the future. Yeah, this this question of fatherhood uh, or the lack of fathers is uh, really staggering. I was just I was listening to another podcast, Malcolm Gladwell. He recently he was doing a, a study or, or a series on uh, guns in America, and he was he was doing an episode on um, uh, emergency room doctors and all of the you know not just gangs, but certainly including gangs, all the sort of gunshot wounds that they had to deal with. And um, he asked one of these doctors who worked in an inner city, you know, if you could do anything medically to to improve this problem, what would you do? And his answer was not medical at all. It was, we need fathers uh, in the houses, you know, if, if fathers are raising these sons uh, and, 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 and girls too, daughters, uh, how drastically, different would our social problems be just just that all right even if they're obviously not going to be perfect fathers nobody's perfect um uh, but just how radically different our society would be if we had um 
more fathers in in the home. Um, we talked a minute ago about pre-Cana as a sort of uh, parish institution as to the way our parish communities can address uh, marriage. Um, maybe individual parishes may have something like this, but there is no, as I understand it, a sort of counterpart for fatherhood. So uh, asking the same question a third time now, what role does the church, uh, parishes, Catholic schools have in restoring fatherhood to our society? And it's it's vital, you know. You you'd think that uh, you'd think that there are, there are a lot of us that that recognize that there should be uh, you know systematic programs that are run you know once a year, twice a year, and uh, that there's emphasis put on it because in, in what we're seeing is that we aren't given a you know a PDF or a textbook on how to be that stellar uh, husband slash father, and uh, and you know, the, the, the Catholic church has uh, enough resources and talent, you know, within our, our community and church to, to be able to take these models, uh, offer it and continue to rec allow, you know, the community to recognize that this is, this is a faith journey and it's not necessarily a destination. It's not a fix all because we're, you know, like, like in the marriage enrichment here in California, there's only three, there's only three, parishes that run it mm. and the the one i went to was there was a hundred of us you know there were um 50 couples and it, it was a huge huge event and and yet you still walk away after three days so the question becomes you know what are you doing to increase strong connection improve on communication um, and really put away bad habits incorporate good ones and live more intentionally to serve your family. And, and the, you know, there are probably a lot of parishes that, you know, they, they may advertise and solicit these types of programs. And yet you, you question how much involvement you get, or is it just uh, something that you've, you tried um, and yet the need is still there because if you, if you can solidify where we are as parents, as husband and wife, then you would think that the, the fruits of that would also affect you know, our children. I want to bring these three issues together now, masculinity, marriage, and fatherhood. I, as, as someone who's an educator, always interested in thinking constantly about uh, ed education and how education can improve society, but also what are its limitations. Uh, I personally went to to um, public school growing up, and I'm not sure I even want the state talking about masculinity, marriage, and fatherhood. But if we focus on Catholic schools, uh, what could schools do? In, in particular, something that you brought up earlier, which I, I think we need to talk more about, and that is virtue. You talked about how you hoped your children and others see you as a virtuous man. So um, when we think about those three, masculinity, marriage, and fatherhood, we talk about the role of the Catholic school system. It, what in particular can we as educators do in, in terms of virtue, instilling virtue in young people so that as they grow older, they'll be um, virtuous men, virtuous husbands, and virtuous fathers? Yeah, you know, the, the hard part about this is that uh, there, because there are so, there's so much uh, restriction and scrutiny on, on that, a lot of times we, the, the best way to approach it is really to understand where our students are, who's learning, and what are the things that are going to help them empower them, give them self-confidence. And, and when you live uh, virtuously and you are able to counsel in that, in that sense and educate in that way, then you allow, allow those to cooperate with that and understand that, yeah, sometimes making the, 
the tough decision is is a little bit harder, but in the end, you'll you'll be happy you did. And that that type of virtue, you know, for me, it's it's really where the the the, the gifts of the Holy Spirit and the fruits of the Holy Spirit um, appear because you know that conscious uh, for a lot of a lot of kids that grew up without without really having any true discipline or structure uh, is all over the place. And that's where a lot of the decision-making, uh, poor decision-making can lead to some detrimental long-term, um, you know, long-term life-altering decisions. And for us, like for our, our own household, I mean, we always just say that, um, you know, um, if you're questioning what you're, what you're trying to do, then then more than likely you're engaging in something that is not pleasing. So wh whether dad or mom knows it, you know, the Lord knows it. And, um, and that's again, why we, 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 we deepen ourselves in, in our, uh, you know, in, in, uh, you know, reconciliation and the sacraments, but yet as educators, you know, in, in my world, you know, in leadership and development, we're working with organizations of all sorts of different cultures, some very, very toxic cultures, silos built up. And we have to look at the aspects of um, virtue in a, in a way that's more like collaboration, uh, more inclusive type um, environments. And um, a lot of that is still drawn on Christian principle, but, uh, but addressing it in a way that's compassionate and loving. Um, a lot of times, um, you know, in the teaching profession, you don't, you don't get a lot of those that are, uh, you know, maybe have lost their passion and uh, are, are kind of just going through the motions. A few questions about you, if, if I may. Um, what has made you so passionate about this issue or these, these issues, these questions about fatherhood, masculinity, and um, uh, marriage? This is kind of funny, but uh, I've always told, uh, you know, those that are close to me, I've always say that if, if, um, if tomorrow was my day to go, I will say that I, I really was as docile as I could you know, to, um, to be submissive to whatever God's will is. And it, and it's a, it's a, I, I contemplate this in, in daily mass. I, you know, do the same thing as, as I go through my daily rosary, I question, you know, am I really doing everything? You know, so that when, and if that time comes, whether it's a car accident or it's, you know, uh, you know, it's cancer or something. If I'm, if I leave, have I really served the Lord? And I want to walk, be able to walk away and say, yes, I served my wife uh, as, as best as I could, uh, as selflessly as I could. I've raised great children to be great adults that are going to contribute to society and further the church. And I'm happy with that. I'm completely happy with that. What I, what I, I want to say with the, the, the thing that um, I don't I never want to be remembered as is someone that, that was apathetic and someone that um, was, all, all word and no action, because clearly in scripture, we saw how many people were hypocrites. Um, and it was, ne it's never, never about me. It was always about Christ and, and, um, you know, God's kingdom. How in, uh, have you seen in your own life, uh, the wisdom of the Catholic church shape men in virtuous ways to be good, good men, virtuous men, good fathers, virtuous fathers, good husbands, virtuous fathers. So here, here, Stuart, it's, it's, it's pretty interesting because, uh, I try to approach things with, with a lot of grace and, um, and I always feel like, uh, allowing myself to invite men to do a little bit more, 
you know, one more, one more, or I know this might be uncomfortable, but help us with this project or this event. And, and, uh, you know, I want to say that, that I, I truly try to find the best in, in different men in our community and allow them to see how important it is to have an extra set of hands, even if it's an hour or two towards, you know, setting up for different uh, projects or retreats. Um, just, just really because, you know, you know, uh, ministry work is not, it's not about us. It's really about serving the Lord. And, you know, I, I want to say that uh, even, even in the times where we've, for example, went up to Skid Row in, in the heart of the homeless population in Los Angeles, I was very surprised to see, um, you know, not only the, the kids that are there to maybe get community service, but for them to realize like how fortunate they are, but the, the, the parents that I've invited from, from our kids school at St. Francis and them coming to me and saying, I'm really glad we did this as a family and for them to, you know, really be thankful that they were invited and that they said, yes, they said yes to the Lord, you know, and, uh, we, we, in those moments, we are the hands and feet of Christ. And, and I want to say that uh, that's, that's really why we, I look at every day, every moment as a holy moment, if we so choose to, and, and that's, that's how I, I choose to uh, try to uh, affect our, our community and the world as a whole. When you pray for your children on these t- three topics specifically, what is your prayer? Well, what, what we typically do is we'll, we'll open it up. Um, we open it up to, you know, their individual needs, what I feel like we need as a collective family unit. So, you know, when we, when we do open prayer, it's, you know, it, we always, you know, we, we adore, we say what we're sorry for what we're thankful for, and then our intentions. And and usually the intentions is when you can really start to see, you know, for example, my daughter, I I always, you know, I always pray that she, um, she allows the Holy Spirit to guide her in her decision-making, who she's with, where she spends her time. Um, For my son, it's always, um, you know, embracing the challenges of, um, you know, middle school, um, enjoying his time, uh, his education, um, giving him self-confidence and understanding what's right from wrong. And then um, always, always taking time to pray for others, that those that, that have asked for prayers, we specifically use their word, their, their names um, so that they recognize that we're, we're not just praying for, for ourselves and our things, but those that, that we have to pray on behalf of. And, um, and, and that's how I try to instill in them, you know, how God made them, how how they um are, are to be a blessing to others in their lives you know uh, for people they mentor their friends their colleagues and um and to just appreciate each day and take it with gratitude and the more we do that you know as as there is adversity that will come um you'll you'll find that we are more prepared and we use that time to recognize that when we hit a a valley which which we will that they recognize that that's when you double down on our faith, um, our prayer life, and the prayer warriors that we surround ourselves with. Blessings have been in the public discourse a lot in the past uh, in the past month. When you think about blessings, when you think about uh, fathers blessing their children, husband blessing their wives, wh- what do you think about? Do you do you bless your children? What do blessings do for the family unit in 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 some way? Well, I, I always look at it as, as intercession, you know, um, I mean, God knows our hearts, you know, and, you know, when we, 
when we ask for blessings or we, we offer supplication, I mean, in most cases, what, what we're doing there is really just um, offering the peace that Christ gives us, you know, and, uh, and uh, in, in a lot of that, you know, the, the different anxiety or stresses of life, you know, offering that blessing gives them that peace. You know, we don't just offer peace at, you know, in, um, in this celebration of mass, you know, that can be offered at any time. And in a lot of cases, when we are with people that um, are really in need of prayer, we will stop. I mean, we'll stop and, and pray at that moment so that it's not something that's, you know, in the back of our mind. Um, and and then when we when we do, we have uh, that opportunity to put their name in uh, in the intention book and we we follow up and make sure that we let them know that we, we did that for them, offering them maybe a you know, a prayer that might be helpful for them at that time, you know, litany of humi- humility and things like that. But, uh, but overall, um, we always ask for, um, you know, we, when we talk about blessings, we always look at that we are blessed um, and that um, where we fall short, you know, we always ask for God's mercy. And a lot of that is, is with, uh, you know, our divine mercy and uh, our daily chaplet and, and how they see that and how that's going to lead into, you know, a fruitful prayer life for themselves also. So we've talked a lot about uh, a lot of societal problems, um, sometimes described as toxic masculinity. We talked about over 50% divorce rate. We talk about uh, the number of children who are being born into um, uh, single single, uh, parent families. So there are a lot of problems. Um, I always like to end my conversations on on a note of hope. Uh, we are a people of hope, specifically hope in the resurrection. So when you think about all of those problems uh, in our culture today around the issues that we've been discussing, what ultimately gives you hope? Yeah, when I, when I you know, I, we went through a, uh, an exercise at, uh, you know, at, at, our, at our office where we, we, we work with the individuals and we, we do a graph of here are the five highs of my life up until now. And then here are the five lows. And when uh, when we did that exercise, Stuart, what a lot of what a lot of uh, participants, including myself, what we saw was that the majority of the lessons were at those those valleys. And for me, from a Catholic man's eyes, that's where where it was very prevalent. Obviously, in retrospect, it was very prevalent that that's where God's grace was really shed upon me. That as much as you feel alone and it's dark you know that he doesn't abandon us. And for, for a lot of us that harbor a lot of shame, regret, um, I, I want to say that the, the message of hope is that, you know, we're, we're not the victim and that we, we know that the way the story ends, it ends in victory. And that, that suffering, the scourging, you know, the crowning and the mockery that, that Jesus endured on our behalf was his love for us. And I, that's really one of the reasons why when it comes to evangelization, evangelization is to, to restore that hope in, in those that have lost hope. And, uh, you know, what, what comes to mind is, uh, is two people, you know, one is uh, a friend of mine, Jason, who, you know, he's done, done life with us in our, our dad's community for a long time. Um, you know, he tragically last year lost his 19 year old daughter in a uh, car accident. Um, and it, there's, there's only so much you can say to someone like that, especially considering that he, he had already lost his wife 
to suicide. Mm-hmm. And it, you almost question like this. Those are the times when you question God, like, you know, God, why me? And um, when you when you look at how he's using that trauma and tragedy to instill hope in others that maybe uh, have suffered from some sort of trauma, um, it's it's very inspiring and honorable to see that even though he battles it every day, that grieving process and what that's going to look like. But that kind of hope is out there. And, and just imagine that that's weighing on the shoulders of individuals that we walk by every day. And as ugly as it is and, and as ugly as the news can get, and I, I know this year is going to get crazy. Yeah. I'm expecting it. Yeah. But my, my, my hope rests in the Lord. And I, I know that we can see through that uh, so long as we, we cling to the truth and traditions of the Catholic Church. Again, the podcast is called the Catholic Dad Cast. Rich, thank you so much for joining me today. Uh, I really enjoyed this conversation, and um, uh, uh, thank you so much for the work that you're doing on that on that podcast. I think um, you know we need more people, uh, yes, outside the church, but even in the, more importantly in the church, uh, drawing attention to these questions because they're they're not sexy. They're not people don't make movie TVs out of these uh, questions, and you know they don't. Um, sell tickets, but I think they really are, um, you know, issues of family, marriage, masculinity, they're, they're the bedrock issues. Um, and if we don't have uh, virtuous uh, fathers, then I think we're going to continue to see this uh, real societal uh, disintegration. So Amen. thank you so Amen, much buddy. for joining me today. And thank you for all the work that you're doing on your podcast. God bless you, Stuart. Our culture is in a crisis, and the solution to that crisis is the gospel message. St. John's Seminary, the seminary of the Archdiocese of Los Angeles, offers an online MA in pastoral ministry degree for anyone interested in receiving formation for ministry. This program helps students improve their knowledge of the Catholic intellectual tradition and develop practical skills for ministry. A studio with professional video, audio, and lighting equipment allows our students to have an enjoyable technological experience, a necessity for any online learning environment. Anyone who is working in and around the Roman Catholic Church in North America needs an education like this. There's no way you could get this kind of education anywhere than at a seminary. Our online Master of Arts in Pastoral Ministry offers you the chance to continue your education in ministry and designed to provide you with the knowledge, spiritual formation, and practical skills that you need to serve the family of God in our parishes, schools, and other ministries. By grounding yourself in the intellectual tradition of the Catholic Church, you will be able to go out into this culture and leaven it with the good news.